Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love Ireland and baseball, you're one of us. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. On today's show, my colleague Jim Ward will be chatting with Northeastern baseball coach Mike Glavin, who will be talking about everything from how he developed his love for the game to his slightly more famous brother, who's in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. I will be going back to episode 7 of the Irish Baseball Podcast, to bring you a clip from Timothy Flaherty. After graduating from Amherst College in 1986, Tim headed over to Ireland to teach basketball in a thigh in County Kildare. I'll go in-depth into one of his answers from that interview, which you can hear in a longer form by heading to irishbaseball.org. Jim Ward will then wrap up the episode with some Irish baseball history. Right now, I will turn things over to Jim, for his interview and we welcome you to irishbaseball.org and the irish baseball podcast our guest at this time is the three-time and reigning caa coach of the year he's also won the abca diamond northeast region coach of the year in 2018 and that year he also was also the neiba the new england uh, baseball coach of the year at northeastern he's a former major leaguer he was hand-picked under his former coach, Neil McPhee, to succeed him at Northeastern University. And it's my great pleasure to welcome the head coach of the Northeastern University Huskies and former major leaguer, Michael Glavin. And Mike Glavin, God bless you, my friend. You're looking great. Good to see you again. Wow. Thanks for that introduction. It actually, actually sounds like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty, you really made me sound good. No, thanks for having me on. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and for just for full recognition, we grew up together. Our families knew each other in uh, in the proud village, or as we call it, the north of Billerica, Mass. Uh, of course, uh, very popular. A lot of uh, former major leaguers and pros uh, to come out of there. We'll talk about that in a minute. But for you, what was it like for you growing up in Billerica, uh, especially in the north? You know, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of great athletes, great people in that town, as you mentioned. You know, uh, I got a pretty famous brother who's who's had a quite, who had quite a career in the major leagues, but you also had, you know, De Sarcinas and Gallison's and just a lot of athletic people in an athletic town and a blue collar town. And it was always something going on, right? You know, it was, if it wasn't a wiffle ball game, it was a street hockey game. It was a football game. It was a hoop game. There was something going on. And it was always something for us to do and stay out of trouble, hopefully, but it was always tended to certainly revolve around sports and pick up games and a lot of competition. And very blue collar was Bill Ricker for sure. And your dad did forms for a living, worked very hard. Your family's a very blue collar family. Maybe tell the folks a little bit about your family uh, growing up. We know about Tommy. We'll talk about him in a little bit. But your dad, your dad and mom were really, they were the top of the chain there. Yeah, they were parents, obviously, you know, two people incredibly proud of and so lucky to have. And then, as you mentioned, Bill Ricker's a blue collar town. I just feel like our family fit right in, right? Like, <laughs> Um, you know, my dad, as you mentioned, did forms, construction worker, did a lot of foundations for, for houses and did some in-ground pools, did some plowing, whatever, whatever it took to keep himself busy and work hard and work multiple jobs, he would do it. And, uh, and you know, when my, we start, my mom and my family started having kids, my mom started staying at home and, and took care of the family. There's four of us in our family. My sister, Debbie's the oldest and my brother, Freddie, Tommy and myself. So um, my mom was holding down the fort at home and, and taking care of us there and making sure we were everywhere we needed to be. And, 
and 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 like you mentioned, Dad was was working his tail off and in, in, in a blue collar town. And and our name, you know, in, in town was really popular, not so much for my brother early, right? It was just but my dad's business and my my uncle's, you know, it was a Glavin construction in in Billerica and it was synonymous with houses and foundations and buildings going up and things throughout the town. They kind of had their their footprint on a lot of stuff. And and so um, you know, it was a pretty popular business throughout town. And and like you mentioned, just a really hard work and blue-collar town. Was your dad and what he did for a living and the reputation, was that where you got your work ethic from? Absolutely. No question. You know, how can you not when you see that every day, right? He wasn't yeah. someone that was like, look at me, look at look at look how hard I'm working. He didn't need to, it wasn't about that. It was just get up at six in the morning every day and, and go to work and come home at five, six in the afternoon and never missed any of our games. And if we had games that day, then he would go to work earlier. And and if we didn't have games that day, you know, but he was always, you know, out of the house bright and early working his tail off. And, and, and you just see that, that kind of work ethic from him. And it's, it's impossible not to have that rub off on you as a kid. And a common thread of all the folks that we've interviewed on this program and on the website, are obviously baseball became their life, but every one of them, multi-sport athlete, you're no exception. You're a tremendous hockey player, just like your brother. How important was that for you growing up, being a multi-sport athlete, playing multiple seasons? Yeah, I mean, it was was multi-sport athletics, right? That's what you did growing up. You played whatever season it was, you played that sport, you know? And so baseball and hockey was kind of the the, the, were the kings in our house. And, and so that's what we did, but we weren't afraid, like I said, to play some, some pickup poop and some pickup football. That wasn't <laughs> our deal, but you know, in our house, it was hockey and baseball. And, and of course, just play those sports. And, you know, you mentioned me coaching now, like I, I really try to find those kids when we recruit, we try to find multi-sport athletes and, and, um, and, and, and just love those, those kids that will pick up a different sport in each season. So it was a big part of what we did. And it seemed like everybody in town did that, right? Like everyone, yeah. Everyone played at least two sports. A lot of guys played three. Um, you know, we didn't play football, but plenty of our friends played football and, and hoops. So it, was just, it just seemed like everybody in town played at least two sports and, and, and a lot of kids three. At what point did you realize baseball was going to be it for you? Or did you think that it was going to be hockey when you were growing up? I didn't know. You know, I was good at both, but I wasn't as good as you're making me sound like that. <laughs> um, I, you know, I was just kind of like a plugger. Like things didn't come easy for me in baseball and hockey. So I, I, I wasn't quite a natural, but I loved them. So I was always trying to play. And one of the things that really, really helped me was um, I, I'm seven years younger than my brother. So that's, uh, you know, I love AB and younger than him. He's getting older now and I still have that on him at least, but I was always trying to keep up with him and his friends, as you know, and, yeah. and they were always playing stuff and they would let me tag along. And then if they needed an extra body, they'd let me play. And then, that's a huge age difference. And they, those guys were so talented as we talked about, but that was such a big deal to me. If I wasn't in the game, I was at least able to watch those guys all play and compete. So you learn so much from, from them. And then, so I really loved playing hockey and baseball. I really didn't know what I was going to do till I got towards the end of my high school career and, and knew that I was pretty slow skater. I could <laughs> score, I could do some things, but I didn't, I wasn't gifted with a lot of speed. I had some size but I just felt like baseball was going to be a little, little easier yeah. for me to, to now focus on one sport, which I did at Northeastern and try to take that as far as I could. Briefly want to talk about Tom a little bit. Uh, of course, Tom and uh, Gary DeSarcino also played for the Red Sox and the California Angels. Both of those guys made the major leagues off that 83 state championship team. 
I honestly believe there could have been four or five guys that could have made it, um, but it, it's the way it turned out to be. But how influential was watching that 1983 team win the state championship over the University of Brockton and go through that process? We call it the University of Brockton. It was Brockton High School, but to go through that process and win the state championship, did that have a big influence on you and say, man, I want to do that? It, it had an influence on me because I was the bat boy. I, again, you talk about, I talked about tagging along, right? So I was the bat boy on the baseball team at the high school level. They let me do it. And I was the stick boy for the hockey team. So I was just always around those guys again. And, and it's such a huge influence. And, and, um, and they had a lot of success. Not, they were talented. And you're right. There were so many guys on that team. And, and, and Gary and Tom get a lot of the, obviously people know who they are, but you and I know all the guys behind the scenes that were, yeah. really talented as well and, and and played some college baseball and could have played professionally as well in both sports hockey and baseball so huge influence to me just being being around them and being the bat boy being the stick boy having them let me tag along and of course you, you're watching and celebrating and dreaming like hopefully someday you know this is what I, I want to do and and, the, and that's how the time was again and 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 you kind of bled the green and white right like that's that just was ingrained in you from Little League to, to Pee Wee hockey all the way up. And it was, it was such a great time to be a part of. Absolutely. And, of course, your path took you to Bill Ricca High School, of course. I went to the Vogue. We were very fortunate. I have two high schools in town. Uh, some kids went to, to Shawshank where I went to go to the Vogue School. A lot of kids went, majority of kids went to the town high school. You chose that route. You had a great coach there. And Coach John Sidorovich, uh, who coached your brother. Uh, and what were some of the things you learned from Coach uh, through your time at Bill Ricca High? And, and then ultimately to make the decision to go to Northeastern. Yeah, so you just, I just really learned the game from him. You get to the high school level, you practice a lot more. Um, you play a lot more. And, and Coach was on the field. He was running the show by himself, basically, right? So, so he's out there every day trying to run the offense, the defense, the pitchers. And so I just, I just learned a lot from him on the everyday of how to play baseball. I think when you're younger, you just kind of get a buy on talent and, and you just play. And as you get older, the talent starts to even out. And he just did an awesome job of coaching us as a team and had such a great tradition, um, you know, playing there. And, and so when I got to, you know, call uh, my senior year in high school, one of the things that really helped me was one of my former teammates, Kevin Gately, um, who's a year older than me, was at Northeastern. I had a chance to talk to him about Northeastern and, you know, it was, it was pretty much a continuation of Bill Rica, that, that the mentality was the same as my high school team and program and coach, a tough blue collar type team under Neil McPhee. So it was a pretty easy fit for me to play for Neil and, and to have guys like Kevin Gately already there to help me along the way. What was your biggest thing that you had to transition in your game when you played for coach McPhee? Obviously the game is a little bit quicker you got bigger fellas in there. They're throwing harder, more exploding stuff, sliders, curveballs, stuff that's nasty. Um, obviously, that had to be a change to you, but it seemed you adapted to that pretty quickly. You were always a pretty good hitter. Yeah, I think the speed of the game was number one, you know, and then the physicality. So I went to Northeastern when I was there. I was freshman year. I was 6'3", 175 pounds. I was like a string bean, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and I really – most of my hits were to like left center gap. And so I remember go, coach calling me into the office, McPhee, and just saying, hey, listen, if you want to, you know, sort of play for us and be a future draft pick, you got to get in the weight room and you got to learn how to pull the ball more with power. And, and so those were the biggest things I had to learn. I hadn't really lifted weights up until that point. It was just playing, you know, in high school. And so I, I didn't really know what the 
the weight room was, to be honest with you. And then, and I didn't really pull the ball. So those were the two biggest things that he taught me early in my career to, to help me become a better player. That's Northeastern baseball coach Mike Glavin and our very own Jim Ward on the Irish Baseball Podcast. I can guarantee we will bring you more of Jim's conversation with Coach Glavin in a future episode. I'm Rick Becker, and we also want to remind you that there are 15 previous episodes of the Irish Baseball Podcast available in a number of locations. Check them out on Apple Podcasts at irishbaseball.org and elsewhere. This audio clip I'm about to discuss is from my interview with Timothy Flaherty. The first part of that interview aired in Episode 7. Here, Timothy talks about his time in Athai, County Kildare in Ireland, where he was teaching basketball with Brother Quinn. There were some challenges for the duo to teach the game to children who barely knew anything about it. But there were also some blessings to their ignorance of the game. For the most part, it was pretty blind. I mean, at that time in the village of Athai, there was RTE1, RTE2, and you'd get some shows on BBC. Um, now there's obviously a lot more ba- American basketball being shown in Ireland. At that time, there was not. But you make a good point. I actually saw it as a positive because I had kids who were really good Gaelic football players, really good athletes. Um, and I could teach them how to play basketball. They didn't have any bad habits. So what we did was there was, I started, it was sort of an informal league. There was about five schools out in the country, but the best team I had was a group of kids who were Gaelic football players and good ones at a young age. And I got them playing basketball. I actually took that team to Dublin and we played in a tournament in Dublin, which at the time was unheard of for a team from the country, as they say, uh, to be competing with kids in Dublin. But we, I just used those kids' athleticism, and we played full court, man-to-man the whole time, and we really would just, off of defense, I used their athleticism. But your your original question, uh, basketball was not that well-known at that time. That was 35 years ago. It's come a long way. But back then, it was really about introducing the game, a lot of dribbling, a lot of passing, a lot of just layups and very basic stuff. You know, we... Uh, Brother Quinn, on the schoolyard, there was an old abandoned, uh, sort of an old abandoned schoolhouse or something. It was probably 30 feet by about 50 feet. And Brother Quinn and I turned that into a gym. Brother Quinn labeled it the Meadowlands. So we used to call it the Meadowlands because uh, he had visited New Jersey uh, and, and watched the basketball game at the Meadowlands. So what we did during the school, I mean, this was very basic. The kids, their quote-unquote gym period, they would come to the Meadowlands, and I would have dribbling races all that kind of stuff, just trying to show them the game a little bit. But the good news was they, they didn't have any bad habits. And when I, when, uh, I got older kids to, to start playing and we would go play in tournaments in the city, um, you know, it, it was like I could sort of mold them because they didn't, again, back, you know, I, I see, I go crazy now watching basketball because all kids that age want to do is shoot a three-pointer. You know, they're not learning the game. So uh, we could teach them the game because I, they, were, they had never played before, so it was quite unique. When I was interviewing Timothy Flaherty, I was blown back by that answer. I think we all have been in a situation where we were training somebody, or maybe more likely we were the trainee, who knew just enough about the topic to cause problems. Sometimes, whether it be sports, school subjects, broadcasting, or any other discipline, a pupil with a blank slate is easier to mold than a student who thinks they have it all figured out before class even starts. His young basketball players had no bad habits, and they weren't trying to emulate anybody they saw on television. They were just eager to learn the fundamentals. 
This really reminds me of the importance of the Baseball United Foundation's work bringing baseball to youngsters in Northern Ireland. Sure, there's a lot more knowledge of baseball in Northern Ireland in 2021 than the village of Athai had about basketball in the late 80s. But trying to bring a completely different sport to kids who have grown up with soccer, rugby, or hurling is still a challenge. To learn more about those efforts or to contribute to them, visit BaseballUnitedFoundation.org. To hear more of my interview with Timothy Flaherty on his work bringing basketball to Ireland or putting together soccer teams of both Catholic and Protestant players to compete as a unit, listen to Episode 7 of the Irish Baseball Podcast at irishbaseball.org. I'm Rick Becker, and once again I turn things over to Jim Ward, who will share with you some more Irish baseball history. Take it away, Jim. As we often discuss on this podcast, Irish Americans and Irish immigrants have played an important role in the growth of the sport in the United States. Still, that success didn't always translate into popularity for baseball in Ireland. The earliest known organized game of baseball on the Emerald Isle came on Monday, August 24, 1874. It pitted two teams from the National Association, the Boston Red Stockings, and the Philadelphia Athletics. Of course, the Athletics can trace their direct line to the Major League team that currently plays in Oakland, while the Red Stockings are actually the forerunners to the Boston, then Milwaukee, now Atlanta Braves. To end a 12-game barnstorming tour of England, the Red Stockings and Athletics split a pair of games in Dublin. Boston's owner, Harry Wright, probably thinking about the growing Irish population in his home city and the large numbers of Irish Americans in professional baseball, felt it was imperative that the two clubs make a stop in Dublin to promote the game. There was also an exhibition set up with the cricket club during their visit. In addition to being the team's owner, the 29-year-old Wright also played for the Red Stockings. According to BaseballReference.com, Wright played 40 games for Boston in 1874, where he hit 315 with two home runs and he drove in 27 runs. He also had an 0-2 record on the mound in six appearances while sporting a 2.15 ERA. The Red Stockings posted a 52-18-2 record in 1874 to win the National Association. Philadelphia finished in third and posted a record of 33-22. Athletics outfielder John McMullen had a solid year. He batted 346 with 32 RBI and two home runs. Philly also boasted Hall of Famer Cap Anson in just the fourth year of his career. Anson, who attended the University of Notre Dame for two years before his playing career, posted a 335 batting average that season according to BaseballReference.com. I'm Jim Ward. For more Irish and Irish-American baseball history and to learn about people like Cap Anson, John McMullen, and many others, why not visit irishbaseball.org? I will now turn things back over to my colleague, Rick Becker, who will close out this episode of the Irish Baseball Podcast. For Northeastern baseball coach Mike Glavin, former Amherst College basketball standout Timothy Flaherty, and my colleague Jim Ward, I'm Rick Becker, and this has been episode 16 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.